Hi, I'm Elia Einhorn, podcast producer at the Talk House. Welcome to the Talk House Music Podcast. Today's guests are Brandy Carlisle and Mackenzie Scott, who records under the name Torres. When Carlisle was an up-and-coming songwriter, she waited outside the Indigo Girls tour bus to meet her heroes. Fast forward a few years, and the Indigo Girls appeared on her 2007 album, The Story. By 2010, it was a young Mackenzie Scott waiting outside Carlisle's tour bus to meet her own hero. And now, these two are real fans of each other's music. They've even toured together. And listening to their songs, it's easy to see why. These are songwriters with a deep country influence who write lyrics that explore dark feelings and deliver them like Armageddon is at their heels. They're kindred spirits in other ways, too. To use their words, they're both gay Christ followers. Brandy Carlisle has released six albums, most recently last year's The Firewatcher's Daughter. Her big break came back in 2007 with The Story, the song that opens today's podcast, and she hasn't looked back. Carlisle's used her major label backing in the right way, having Elton John guests on a song and working with genius Grammy-winning producers Rick Rubin and T-Bone Burnett. Mackenzie Scott comes from Southern Baptist roots, and you can hear her native Georgia in her voice. On her two LPs, 2013's Torres and last year's Excellent Sprinter, Scott mixes country folk with grungy guitar rock, electronic beats, and indie rock. And as Carlisle says, she's a magnetic performer. She's the kind of artist you watch with excitement just to see what direction they'll take next. Scott was really excited and nervous to speak with Carlisle and showed up to my studio with a thermos full of Irish coffee. We settled in, called Carlisle at her country home, and the two had this absolutely heartwarming and inspiring conversation. I want to start with a story. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> a short one. Um, cool. I saw you perform for the first time in June of 2010. Um, right. At the Loveless Barn in Nashville. Oh, yeah. And Yeah. It was, you played like four songs. Um and God, I mean, my right heart... Right around the Americana Music Festival, right? Uh, it was something... Yeah, no, it was. That's what it was. It was a yeah. short set. Um, yeah. And I waited by your bus after the show to say hello. <laughs> and um, and you very graciously came and talked to all of the fans that were waiting by your bus. And... Um, <coughs> And you asked me if I told you what I did. I told you I went to Belmont and that I was a songwriting major. And then you asked me if I was a singer too. And I said I was. And then you said, I can't wait to hear you someday. Oh, really? And yeah, and I, I know that that's probably never something that you would remember um, and that you get that a lot. But what I wanted to tell you was that that was 
essentially the impetus for me beginning to do what it is that I'm doing now. Um, and so I wanted to ask you if, if there was any moment where you got to meet one of your heroes and they said something to you or there was something in the exchange that made you believe that you could do what you're doing now. And I was wondering if maybe you would tell me a little about that, if so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, there's a few situations where that happened to me in really similar ways. <clears throat> I was a total wait-outside-the-bus type of fan <laughs> of uh, a lot of artists. Yeah, I waited outside a lot of buses for hours sometimes. <laughs> and um, I, and you know what? I still would. Um, but I will say that, you know, first of all, going back to um, meeting you outside the bus, I don't remember that specifically, but that's not something that I would commonly say to people. So, you know, you must have struck a chord in, in such a way that I realized that you had uh, something special, and I probably was pretty interested to hear you, and turned out that there was a lot to be interested in. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, you are like an incredibly exciting and special artist, and even even just talking to you, I probably already recognized that in 2010. Um, I have, I'm a, I chronically have heroes and I'm a big hero person. So I absolutely have gone into <laughs> like spiraled into obsessions <laughs> since I was a little kid about, um, people and musicians I love. And, you know, I would get really invested in not just their music, but like also their, their humanness. And if, you know, if the person wasn't worthy of, of um, someone's admiration, I would completely go off their music mm-hmm. and not continue to enjoy the art that they create. So <clears throat> the biggest one for me was probably always Elton John. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I became a teenager, I started to really have um, a lot of hero worship for other gay artists specifically because I saw so many possibilities in that um, that kind of success for myself and it was really motivating so yeah I waited outside the Indigo Girls bus and I <clears throat> paid special attention to the to the stage door at all the Elton John concerts that I was allowed to attend I would definitely fall into the category of someone that if I do meet my heroes and they disappoint me they I no longer enjoy their music or anything about them right 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 <laughs> so I definitely fall into that category of People that shouldn't meet their heroes if their heroes are questionable. <laughs> However, by the time someone is my hero, I already know their birthday and their shoe size and everything <laughs> about them. So there's pretty good chance I won't be surprised when I meet them. And my heroes, uh, particularly Elton John, have, have just gone above and beyond um, what I ever thought that they would be. Bonnie Raitt, um, Lucinda Williams. The Indigo Girls, a lot of my heroes have just turned out to be righteous, righteous human beings, super cool people. That's really good to hear. That's actually the experience that I've had as well. Um, cool. And so, yeah. And you're going to keep having it. It's like one of the funnest things ever, especially <laughs> if you're a person that has heroes. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about was what it's like to have your family on the road with you because um, I guess I didn't really get to tell you when we did have those those dates together um, back in October, but 
Mm-hmm. Seeing with seeing you with your family on the road was actually the first time uh, up until this point that I ever even believed it remotely possible to have both to to <laughs> have to have both worlds to have the family and. Uh, yeah. you know, the comfort that comes with that and, and to also have your career. And um, that that gave me more hope than anything has in a long time. And so I wanted to add. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it did. Um, because I've never seen that work for anybody else. You know, most artists that I've talked to about, you know, people that have been married or that are married or, you know, not married, mm-hmm. but in relationships. Um, right. They all, they've all told me the same things up until this point, and that's, oh, don't, don't even, don't even bother. Don't get into a relationship. Right. Don't get married. Don't have kids. You can only have one or the other. And and seeing you with your family on the road, not only making it work, but having the time of your life, having the time of your lives, everyone. Uh, right. It was so encouraging to me, and I I kind of just want to I want to hear your thoughts on what it's like to have. I'm sure it's not all as great as I think it is, but I want to hear it from you. Tell me about it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's messy. You know, <laughs> it's messy. There's definitely a lot of problems that come with that. And it's not the the kind of problems that you think that would come uh, with. They're deep problems. You know, I mean, first of all touring artists bands on the road are, are um <clears throat> have a certain gravity around them and when our partners or kids feel like they're just being sucked into our world all the time or following us around all the time it gets um identities get lost in that and you know you end up having like deep philosophical questions and so you know it's definitely been a messy um a, a messy thing but when's your birthday when's my birthday yeah uh, it's January 23rd. January 23rd, okay. So you're not a Gemini. So there's, I, I'm not a big star sign person or anything, but there is this, like, really basic truth, I guess they say, about Geminis, which is that they're two distinctly different people. They call them, like, the twins, you know? Uh-huh. And um, throughout, like, basically my whole adult life uh, in my 20s, I knew that eventually I wanted to have a domestic um, element to my life. Like, I wanted to be married. I wanted to have a family. And, um, you know, I wanted to be centered in my faith and, and, you know, grow tomatoes and and learn to cook. And I really wanted to have, like, this other other part of me fed. But I was completely fixated and rapidly burning out Mm -hmm. on um, touring, music, performing, um, trying to look cool, be cool, say the right things, wear the right clothes, you know, and... um, but also knowing there was this other this other brandy that just was like existed in the ether but just wasn't getting integrated into my life. And right around the time I turned like twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty, you know, when they talk about your Saturn return, <clears throat> I knew somewhere inside of me that I needed to um try to integrate those two people. And that if I ever really wanted to be happy and not super anxious and and kind of strung out and depressed that I would need to find a way to um, integrate that other person that I was kind of into my life. And so I started, um, you know, 
trying to think about how to make that happen, and they got really cerebral for me. And what ended up happening was I just totally met the right person and fell in love, and everything fell into place out of my control. Um, but the result was that I got to be that person who grows tomatoes and cooks and has a baby, and, and I get to be that person and still be on stage and perform, and I'm still not cool, and I still don't wear the right thing. <laughs> but... I am fully myself now, and, and I am integrated. And I think that happens to a lot of people right around the time they're in their late 20s. You know, if you start a family and have kids young, you know, right around your late 20s, you start to realize, you know, sometimes maybe that you're not satisfied with your career or with elements of, you know, pursuing passions or dreams. And you have to find a way to fully integrate that into your domestic life. And for me, I had to find a way to integrate domesticity into my 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 obsession. Mm-hmm. And um, and it happened. And it's like, like I said, it is messy. It's definitely messy, but it life is. And I just think every marriage is weird. <laughs> and we probably all think we're a lot weirder than we are. So you have... Um, the sky's a limit for you. You can do any of it or all of it or none of it, but it's all obtainable to you. And which brings me to, you know, a question that I have for you, which is what is it like being um, an artist, being well-received and a woman and having the respect that you have and being gay in twenty? What does that feel like? I'm, I wonder because even when I started, there were still repercussions associated with telling anyone in the music industry that you were gay because that would limit your your audience because um, you would you would be quote unquote you know marginalized. Mm-hmm. But but those were just aftershocks. You know the real marginalization, the real um, defamation happened to the generation of artists before us. So what does it feel like to you and to me, um, but less than you, to not actually have to worry about that and to know that guys and straight people will still come to our shows and buy our music? Um, I think what's so... I think what's so incredible about being an artist at this at the present is not uh, I haven't had to explain myself mm-hmm. it's been it, it's actually been that great it, I have not had to explain myself um, yeah. I have not had to uh, I have not had to make any any sort of statement or set any kind of um I guess, parameters on my sexuality or even mm-hmm. talk about my sexuality. I think that the people that are that have heard the record, that are coming to the shows, um, it's like they just get it. And I've never I've never actually been asked any any sort of question that made me uncomfortable regarding sexual orientation or, you know, sexual preference or uh, gender even. I think that what's right. what's been so incredible about doing this at this time is that I have 
had the opportunity to essentially be completely gender fluid. Um, yeah. And no one has, no one gives a shit. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, Why do you think that is? Uh, it's generational, I think. I mean, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know what else to say about it. It, it does seem like a generational thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think that my friends, the people around me, and 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 then the people that come to the shows. Um, I guess there's just. It seems as though there is less pressure to define oneself to uh, to have to make any clean cut statements about about who you are, who we are in terms of sexuality, right. in terms of gender and I, I don't know. That's I guess that's all I can say about it is that I've never I've never had to I've never had to defend myself or or define yeah. myself and it seems as though people have just understood yeah, they do now. It's and it's like, you know, I I feel like that is due to um, you know uh, people before us in the, in the in the earlier generation taking serious blows for that mm-hmm. and being marginalized, like in to the point where they either don't have careers now or um, have had so much uh, defamation uh, defamation been the butt of too many jokes to be considered, you know. Relevant, yeah, and um, it's like uh, it just it garners huge, huge respect for me, and makes me realize, yeah, I never had to talk about um, being gay in interviews because you did, and yeah, you know, no one ever made fun of me of that for that because that's outside the realm of what's appropriate now, and that's outside the realm of what's appropriate now because it happened to you. Mm-hmm. And so I have a uh, you know enormous respect for the way the way pavers in that um, in that sense that you know w- that people that that got hits, um, made up named after them on Saturday Night Live or had to confront the misogyny of Rolling Stone and um, you know realizing that that doesn't have to happen to me because of them and that not only does that not have to happen to you but you don't even have to define yourself. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. That's huge in in our generation. And, and uh, anyway, I think about that all the time. What's the next thing? You know, what's the thing we're paving the way for? So that, like, you know, when my daughter picks up a guitar, she's going to have to worry um, about even less. Yeah. I think uh, gender based marginalization that I had to worry about. Absolutely. My mother lost her mother twice Once in 54, then later in life The exchange was quick and quiet The record sealed the names made private Her search began and ended with a judge Her papers had been claimed in a freak basement flood 
One thing that you really helped me with, uh, in terms of sexuality, but also in terms of your relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to talk about Jesus, Brandy. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you about it too. Awesome. I figured I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it off. Um, this is going to be the weirdest of this interview <laughs> series that anybody's ever done. I love it. It's like, oh. we are the perfect mix of weirdos to talk about these things. One, uh, one thing that you really did for me was y- you publicly made it okay to be uh, gay and a Christ follower. Oh, is that okay? I didn't realize that was okay yet. <laughs> is this okay? <laughs> Thank you for the... Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. I didn't know it was okay uh, until until I discovered your music in high school. I didn't. Um, and you might still you might still be the only artist that I can think of that has that has paved the way for me in that way. Um, cool. Still, and th- that's kind of unbelievable to me, but. That's the kind of legacy I'm most interested in. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And I I want to thank you for that. Um, and I don't know. I guess I don't really have any specific question about that. But um, I think I just wanted to tell you that. <laughs> that you, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I met, a, I met a pastor one time that called it a violent threshold um, between two worlds that have been... Um, you know, through in, uh, injury, uh, hostile toward one another. And it is it is a definitely interesting place to be. Um, I have, most of my peers are um, agnostic or, or atheist. In fact, probably pretty damn near all of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the church, the modern church still doesn't doesn't really want you know, me to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So it, it really is a threshold between two worlds that are a bit at odds, but um, can't see each other very well. And one of the ways that that um, that I've been thinking about that lately, and, and I was going to ask you about this, it's interesting is that you called yourself a Christ follower. I wonder what words do we use and not use to describe our faith because of the fact that it's different. We're definitely coming from a perspective or a reformed version of our faith where we don't need to um, we don't need to tote and hammer away at the infallibility of the Bible mm-hmm. or um, we don't need to use scripture like it's in plain English and like it's completely clear. We look at it like poetry. Um, and uh, folk stories passed down from generations about a very specific ancient people, the Jews. Mm-hmm. So, if 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 indeed we share this faith with quote unquote Christians, 
why why is it hard to use that word, and why don't we call ourselves that word? Because I, in, I interestingly noticed that you didn't call yourself that either, and I don't call myself that. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what words won't you use, and what words do you use to describe your faith? I don't like the word Christian um, simply because of the the implications that that that, that carries in the in the Western world. Mm-hmm. I I think it's kind of a four yeah. letter word at this point. Um, yeah. And I think that I prefer I prefer to call myself a Christ follower because. Uh, because what I believe and what I practice is not a religion. Um, right. It's simply yeah. it's simply a way of life. It's a way of treating others. It's a way of looking at the mm-hmm. world and right. Uh, and that's all it is. And the message is very simple. And I I think by calling it Christianity or or anything that remotely implies right. some sort of religion or. Um, Man, any sort of Bible thumping, I just, I can't stand yeah. it. It drives me nuts. Yeah, I see what you mean. Well, it, I think it, like, almost, you know, in in America or, or even in, in Europe, I think we've developed almost like we've shut down a neural pathway <sighs> that allows us to even hear anything past the word Christian mm-hmm. <clears throat> because of, not, not so much because of, of who it describes, but because of who it excludes. Yes. And I think that if there were any reason to leave that word behind, I think that Jesus would like that reason the best because of who, who that word excludes. Do you... So I, I feel the same way. And I use other words, you know, to describe, you know, my faith. But, you know, when you're raised in a Baptist-type environment, which I was, not because of my parents, but it, it's a long story... <sighs> When you're raised in that kind of an environment, you know, you get afraid to doubt or exclude any part of a religion, including the words that you use or the rituals that you practice. I think the Catholics probably have some of this same fear. And um, it's like only when you come to like a second, they call it a second calling or a re-envisioning of your faith can you realize that your faith's not reliant on little words like that. You know, Jesus never called himself a Christian, and he had no idea what the Bible was. Yeah. So it's an interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting, like rebirth of 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 uh, understanding that faith. And you're right; it is it is a way that you treat others and walk through the world and a code of ethics and, and honesty that's important. Other people can have it that aren't Christ followers as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it it's a uh, it's a, it's a way that I know how to walk because of Jesus. But that doesn't mean I'm, I call myself a Christian because I don't really understand what that word means to me now in my life. So I, I thought it was interesting you called yourself a Christ follower. I just call myself a Jesus freak.
have the most diverse fan base I have ever, I've ever seen out of any performing artist. I think it's incredible. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I, I absolutely love them. I sometimes can't believe the differences when I'm looking out from the stage. Like, there's like frat dudes out there and cowboys and <laughs> gay girls and gay guys and moms. And then there's like four-year-olds. And yeah, it's an amazing, amazing fan base. I absolutely love them and their openness to what we're doing, you know. But speaking of my fan base... <clears throat> When you were out with me, <laughs> Uh-oh. it was actually a bit of a uh, of a glimpse into what my fan base is like in certain regions, even <laughs> you know, like regional fan base. So you do these dates with me, right? And um, and I I kept finding myself really admiring you and being really proud of what you were doing because, like, I'm a room reader, you know, like I immediately get on stage and I start thinking, okay, what do you want? What do you need me to be here? You know, do you guys want to cry? Do you want a comedian? Because I can tell jokes. <laughs> do you guys want to dance? Because I can rock. Like, what, what, what should I do here to make this really, really fun for you? You know, like a, like a party host. Mm-hmm. But when you go on stage, you are, Mackenzie, you're Torres every night, and you don't care who's watching. <laughs> and the thing that's so cool about that is, you know, I watched you do that in rooms, you know, the thing where you get on on your knees with the electric guitar and you you do the Nirvana thing and the screams and stuff, you know? Like, I saw you do that in rooms where it, like, crushed and people were, like, freaked out, screaming and into it, and it just killed. And I was, like, jumping up and down on the side of the stage, like, beside myself. And then I saw you do that in a couple of rooms where (laughs) everyone looked very uncomfortable. You know what I'm oh, saying? I, I know what you're saying. But you, but you still did it. <laughs> so the thing that I find so impressive is how do you, you know, we're talking about bridging the gap. How do you bridge the gap between performing versus creating? How do you define yourself as a performer? Do you find that your expression on stage is involuntary and that it is what it is and anybody witnessing it is just going to have to deal with it? Or do you find performing to be something you deliberately do to make a statement? Uh, Well, let's see. I'll say if it's going well, I become pretty possessed. um, And I feel feel as though anything could happen, and often it does. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I will... I will make some sort of a dance move, like some sort of contortion with my body that I didn't even know I didn't I didn't know was possible. Mm. Um, and it's because it happens it happens in the moment. But a lot of times, you know, you said you're a room reader. A lot of times, I will read a room and I can tell that it's not really going so well, or that they're just not getting it. <laughs> and that's when I get angry. I get I get angry, and I, you know what, I start at yourself or at the room. At the room, I start thinking, you know what, even if you don't get this, you are going to see it through to the end, and and then right. I, <laughs> and then I guess something else takes over, and uh, and I end up doing the same thing. Yeah, I saw some of that. It was a, right. I saw it was it was a rebellion a couple of times. Um, you knew you knew that it was um, that it was not within the realm of what they were understanding to a certain point and you rebelled against that by doing it still which I thought was like actually pretty fucking cool <laughs> well I was really impressed 
Thank you. I'm really proud of you. Thank you. And I think it's amazing that you did that um, in the ramen like that. Because so many folks just like sitting down, you know, in this, you know, this venue, like you just like, you know, big machine gun electric guitar and screams. And, you know, I was really, really excited and impressed by that. It was really fun talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Brandy. We got to get together and play some music, and and um, yeah, I think we should record again today the way we were doing it live. No, don't say things that you don't mean, because <laughs> I don't. I'm gonna I'm gonna latch right that, on. Really, I would love to. Yeah, please do. We um we listen to uh, your album all the time in this house, and we just. Love it. We're 100% behind you, and we think that you're really awesome, and I couldn't wait to talk to you and do this interview. Have you finished Velvet Elvis yet? I'm about halfway through. I will let you know as soon as I'm finished. I'm I'm devouring right it. Yeah, it's a good book. Yeah. Thank you very much, Brandy. This has been the highlight of my life thus far. I absolutely mean it. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a total blast. I, I loved talking to you today, and I hope that somebody gets something out of our little... Uh, interview and that it's not just totally weird but you know what we are we are right we spend our only season on a mattress sleeping with our best friend we donned our listening to Mackenzie Scott, a.k.a. Torres, in conversation with Brandy Carlisle for the TalkHouse Music Podcast. This conversation was set up by Michael Azarad and mixed and edited by Mark Yoshizumi. For more episodes of the TalkHouse Music Podcast and the TalkHouse Film Podcast, subscribe on iTunes or head over to thetalkhouse.com. <laughs>